my whole life I've always been really good at hearing what's going on around me. I tend to be a fairly attentive person, but I've not always been very good at listening to what people are saying. In fact, that's probably one of the things that I've heard most my whole life, whenever I was getting in trouble or something was going on, and I thought that I could fake my way through something by knowing everything that was going on, but people would say, Chris, I know that you hear me. I know you understand the words that I'm saying, but you're not listening to me. And so my whole life I've kind of wrestled with, I guess, the difference between those two things. Because I thought that if I could just fake my way through, if I could just listen to people's words and understand what they're saying and be able to recount back everything that someone has said to me, then that would be good enough, that that would be sufficient. But the reality is it wasn't. Because just hearing something isn't really good enough. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. But the difference is pretty simple. Listening requires action or reaction or some kind of movement after you hear. And for me, for most of my life, I wasn't doing anything when someone would speak to me. The words that came to me resulted in in no action from me. And I'm not totally sure. I think I've gotten better with age. Maybe, maybe Stephanie could disagree. But I think I've gotten better with age and being able to actually listen and take the words and the things that people are saying to me and putting them into use into my life and putting them into action in my life. But I know, at least in one area of my life, this is a place where I still have a lot of growing to do. Because when it comes to my walk with Christ, I hear a lot. I spend time in Scripture, I preach God's Word, we're in community groups and church and all these kind of things. I hear God's Word a lot. But I think there are plenty of times where I am guilty of hearing it, but I'm not listening. Because the Word of God doesn't spur me to do what I'm supposed to do. And I don't want to speak for everyone, but... I have a microphone, so I can. So I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think that that's a place where we all struggle at times. That we hear God's word, that we hear God speaking to us through his word, but sometimes we don't respond like we should. Sometimes it doesn't move us to action like it should. And it seems in the book of James that this is something that the original audience of James' letter was struggling with as well. James is the half-brother of Jesus and an apostle and one of the founders of the Christian church and the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who are scattered about in this region. And he's writing to them a very unique letter. It's a very practical letter, but it shows the reader this is how you live in a way that reflects the message of the Word of God. This is how your life is used to respond to the gospel. James is telling his audience, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at one particular section of James's letter here. Where he talks about this true religious side of Christianity. Of what it looks like to put our faith 
into action, especially when it comes to how we treat and relate to and care for other people, especially other people who are in the midst of difficult circumstances and who are living very vulnerable lives. But he begins this by telling us and commanding us to pay attention and then to take action. To not simply be hearers of God's word, but to be moved by God's word and to be moved by the gospel and to be people of action. And so this morning, as we begin this very short series, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 22 through 25. And this is God's word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. God, we do, as always, thank you for your word. But we do need to confess that sometimes our thankfulness for your word is more an acknowledgement than it is a life-changing action. And so, God, we need you to teach us how to not only hear your word, but to put your word into action and live your word out in everything that we do. God, we thank you for the calling that you've given our church and the direction that you're leading our church in. And we're going to see some really important truth over the next few weeks about how we should live not only as Christians, but how we should live as the church in this community, caring for and loving and serving those in need. But God, you know that to be able to do that, we first have to stop and to hear and to listen and allow your word to change our hearts and to change our lives and then to lead and guide us in everything that we do. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you just teach us to be not simply hearers of your word this morning and every day as we open the pages of scripture, but that we will be doers of your word who act in a way that honors and glorifies you and loves and serves our neighbors as you've called us to do. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We live in an incredibly noisy world. And that feels especially true at Christmas time and, and through this past really month and a half as we've been in this just expanded holiday season. There's lights and everything makes sounds and the toy aisles are full and there's people everywhere and traffic is loud and there's horns honking and there's just stuff going on all the time. But we don't need the holiday season to recognize how noisy the world is. We've got phones that go off all the time. There's whirring and humming. There's electronics going on. There's, there's people at work and in family. And there's just, just sound all of the time. And it can be really easy to be very distracted. And in reality, we're kind of noisy people. We talk a lot. We say a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff going on in our heads. Since I've already talked about how bad I am at 
just communication and listening sometimes, I recognize my own noise on a, on a regular basis. And I'm especially aware of how noisy I am when it comes to conversations with other people. Because I feel like, and I've talked to you guys about this before, but I feel like I always make the wrong decisions in conversations, and I always focus on the wrong things and pay attention to the wrong things, and I'm very easily distracted. And so sometimes, if it's an initial conversation with somebody that I'm just meeting, I'm so worried about making sure that I don't say anything horribly awkward and weird because that is my natural tendency and my natural disposition, that I'm constantly thinking about the next thing that I'm going to say. And what happens then is as I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, I stop thinking about what that person is actually saying to me. And so I realize four sentences in for them, I have no idea what they've said. And I am very distracted and also very horrified because what's going going to come out next is going to be something awkward and weird. Or I can be talking to somebody, and if something happens over here, and something happens over here, and something happens over here, then I'm focusing on all three of those things while trying to pay attention to the person right in front of me. And if you've, you've, you've spoken to me, you know this happens. And I look, and I'm paying attention to all this other stuff, and it's very hard for me to narrow it down like I should because things are noisy. And there's noisy things happening inside of my head and noisy things happening all around me because we just live in a noisy world and we're noisy people. James warns about that kind of noisiness. And in verse 19 through 21, as he's talking about kind of a righteous life, he gives us some insight into how that works. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And this seems like a very subtle and and gentle way for James saying, stop talking. (laughs) Stop being so loud. Stop being so noisy. And he connects this to so many different parts of our our lives and our relationships. He says that this slowness to speak and quickness to listen helps us to reduce our anger and our relationships with other people. It can produce a righteousness that God requires. It helps us to put away all this filthiness so that we can receive the word of God. Sometimes it's important to do what scripture tells us to do and just be quiet and to be still and that through our stillness, Find out who God really is. In verse 22 through 25, James gives us this commandment to not simply hear the word, but to do the word. And there's a commandment here to be people of action, people who are moving and people who are doing God's word. But inside of that command to be doers of God's word, there is an implied command to be hearers of God's word. There's a, there's a flow here where James says in order to do what you're called to do, in order to be the people you're called to be, you first have to hear the word of God. And we see all throughout scripture that our lives as God's people begins with hearing. And it always has. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we call the Shema, this amazing call to God's people, the text says to hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The commandment, first and foremost, is to hear and to receive this message and to understand who God is so that you can go out and love God the way that you're supposed to. All through the Old Testament, we see God make these declarations to people. 
going and speaking to Abraham, saying, get up and go to this place that I have for you. But Abraham couldn't have got up and gone unless first he heard that God was calling him to get up and go. The same thing for Moses and the same thing for person after person all through the Old Testament. Their relationship with God and their actions to love and to serve God began by hearing from God. And we see that same thing very true all through the New Testament. Jesus uses the word hear a lot. Sometimes as a way to get people's attention. Sometimes as a way to correct people. Jesus would say things to religious leaders like, well, have you not heard this? Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening to what all the scriptures have said? How did you miss this thing? Because you're not listening. He would tell parables that held within them the the truth of the kingdom of God, and he would follow them up by saying, let him who has ears hear to receive that message. In the book of Acts, we see the importance of hearing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5 through 12, when all the people were together at Pentecost, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them, the apostles, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figuria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? The very first moment where the gospel began to go out after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus was the people gathered in Jerusalem during this time, hearing the word of God in this amazing way, all of them hearing the gospel in their own language. Romans ten fourteen through 17, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? And how will they not believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But that they have not all all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. Then Paul tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In Galatians 3 Paul, as he's confronting the Galatian church, says, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? And did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and the works, miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In 1 John, John summarizes the beauty of the gospel and its revelation to people by saying that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
and which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Over and over throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, there is this commandment for the people of God to be hearers of God's Word. And we're taught over and over again that our faith in God, that our relationship with God, that our walk with God, and our work for God begins with hearing God's Word. And the two things can't be separated. And as we're going to see in just a little while, James is going to warn us about the folly and the foolishness of hearing God's word without doing anything about it. But there's also a danger in doing without hearing. And there is a tendency in Christianity, I think maybe especially in American Christianity, but really we see that throughout all of history, There's this tendency to partake in a whole lot of action with very little scripture behind it. We want to do things that look Christian and sound Christian and feel Christian, but they aren't really Christian because where we get these cues from and where we learn about this is not from the Word of God, but from what we see and what we understand and stereotypes about what Christianity is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like. And what this becomes is a form of worldly ideologies dressed up like Christianity. It happens in politics, where you have the religious right and the Christian left, and it just actually ends up looking like right and left and not a whole lot like Christianity. We can see this in morality. We see this in philosophy. We want to try to be good people, whatever that means, and we equate that with being Christian, but then there's something deeper missing about what it means to actually be followers of Christ. Jesus tells us that that we would know a tree by its fruit. And you know what kind of a tree it is because of what kind of fruit it produces. And the fruit it produces is produced because of what that tree is and what's inside of that tree. And the same thing is true in the life of a Christian. What we fill our minds with, what we fill our hearts with, what we consume is what's going to come out. And we can dress all of those things up as Christianity, but if it's not based in Scripture, if it's not based in God's Word, if it doesn't come from what we have in this implanted Word of God, or as James calls it here in this passage of Scripture, the perfect law of liberty, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that's not where our Christianity comes from, if that's not where our actions come from, they're not really Christian at all. The difficulty is it is very easy very easy to be seen as a good Christian man or a good Christian woman without ever cracking the cover of a Bible. Because we can learn enough about what we think it's supposed to mean to be a Christian from everything else around us. But the reality is is that we cannot be like Christ if our faith is more informed by our culture than the word of our Creator. The only place where we can learn what it means not to be a Christian or to act like a church person, but the only place where we can learn to be like Christ comes out of the Word of God. 
But what tends to happen is we walk around like the emperor with his new clothes. We think we've got something on. We think we've got this material about what it means to be religious and to be a Christian. But the reality is it's based in nothing. And so we have nothing on at all. But it's impossible to act like a Christian without first hearing God's word. And you can't do it if you don't first hear it. And really, we have no excuse in what's about to be 2018, living here where we live with how accessible it is to hear God's word. Because not only do we have options to come and to freely meet for worship and to hear God's word all through our services, we have Bibles printed in our language and as many translations as you could possibly imagine that are written in ways that are easy to consume and to understand. You can listen to the Bible in a variety of different places, all from just your little phone in the palm of your hand. We can hear the word of God as much as we possibly want to. And so there is no excuse for us to not take advantage of that as much and as often as we can. And so if we're going to be people who are doers of the word, we have to know the word. And to know the word, we have to hear the word. And we should have a passion to consume that as much as we possibly can. And so we've got to start by being hearers of God's word. And then James moves on to tell us to be doers of God's word. I think if you were going to go, and I I don't guess I think this, this is probably pretty safe to say this is true. If you went around and asked a bunch of random people what the Bible means to them, you'd have a wide variety of answers. And there are certainly a lot of people who would be very neutral to the Bible, who maybe have never read it, maybe never spent any time in it. But I think if you do read the Bible, if you've ever spent any amount of time reading what the Bible has to say, that it's very impossible to be neutral about the Bible. A few weeks ago, Adam was talking about C.S. Lewis's challenge about understanding who Jesus is. And Lewis points out that it's impossible to be neutral about Jesus if we really know Jesus. That Jesus is who he says he is, or if he's not, he's not worthy of listening to or paying attention to at all because he's crazy or he's a liar. And so there's no, there's no gray area with Jesus because he's either the son of God or he's not. And he says he is, and that's not a person that we'd want to listen to. And the same thing is true about our approach to scripture. The Bible's not just a good moral book. It's not just a book of some pretty good guidelines for how to live a really good life. It's not just a golden rule and, and containing some of these things that help us to be better people and better at life. The Bible is either the word of God Or it isn't, because it certainly claims to be. And so it should be impossible for us to be neutral about the Bible. Paul tells us that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And there's no middle ground in between. It's either something that radically changes every part of who we are, or it's something that should be rejected totally and completely. But... Christians can often be guilty of being the most apathetic people when it comes to Scripture. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Especially if you've spent a lot of time in church or a lot of time really in just this area. Because, because the Bible is part of our language. It's part of our vernacular. It's part of the way that we speak. I mean, good grief. I saw something about the golden rule on 
some commercial, I don't know what it was, I didn't really pay attention to the commercial, but I just remember that was their, their mission statement, this idea of doing unto others as they would do to you, that, that, that's, again, that comes from Jesus' mouth, and it was something that this company had adopted as their own. It's part of our language. It's part of everything that we think and we know. And so especially if you mix that culture in with the fact that maybe you've been in church for a while, then it can be very easy to assume the Bible. It's just part of your life. It's just been around a lot. Again, it's very easily accessible. If you want to read it, you can read it anytime, any place. It's not hard to do. It's around. It's not something particularly precious as far as its availability is concerned because it's everywhere. And so we can assume the Bible. We just know that it's always going to be there. We can get very comfortable with the Bible. Because we learn so many of the stories, and maybe we even memorize passages of Scripture, and so it becomes not simply part of what we speak, but part of our lives and part of everything that we do. And so it's just a part of our lives like brushing our teeth. It's just something that's always there and something that we're always participating in. We can take it for granted because we know if I don't read it today, it'll be there tomorrow. If I forget to spend some time in it this afternoon, then you know what? I'll just pick it up later. And so we can take it for granted because we know it's always going to be around. And then I think maybe the most dangerous thing that we can do with the Bible is we can master it. Right? We become scholars. We become people who know the stories and we're familiar with the verses. And when we hear John 3.16, because maybe you've heard it a million times before, then it's easy to hear that and just let it fall on deaf ears and not be moved by it because I know that. I've mastered that. I've reached a place where that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But if we really believe that the Bible is the word of God, And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God in our lives. We simply can't be unmoved by it. We have to fight that tendency and fight that apathy in our lives and to be constantly praying that God would help us to hear his word new every time we take it in. I love in Acts chapter 2 after this this whole amazing moment at Pentecost where people are hearing the gospel in their native tongues, Peter gets up and he preaches the first Christian sermon that we see in the Bible. The first sermon this side of the resurrection of Jesus. And he lays out, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And the people standing around have this amazing response. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They heard the message of the gospel. They heard the message that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead and offers this salvation to the world. And it says it hit them deep down in the heart, that place that the writer of Hebrews says, the division between joint and marrow, cutting down to the core of who they were. And they heard that word of God. And the only thing that they could could muster up to say in response is, okay, What do we do now? Because I can't just hold on to this. This isn't something that can just sit neutrally in my life. I need to know now that you've told me this and now I believe this, what do I do about it? I think if we get to a point where we are unmoved by the gospel and by the word of God, something is wrong. And I don't really think that. James says that. In verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
James tells us that if we listen to God's word, if we hear it all the time and we are not moved to action, then we are deceiving ourselves. We're believing something about ourselves that isn't true. When we hear the word of God and we do nothing about it, it causes nothing short of a spiritual identity crisis. And that's what James lays out in this illustration in verse 23. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. See, as we've seen, we find our identity in the hearing of the word of God. That's where our relationship with Christ is initiated by hearing the gospel. And in God's word, we hear who we are in Jesus. That's where we find out that because of Jesus, when we trust in Christ for salvation, that we are new creatures and the old is past and the new has come. That's where we're reminded that we're forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future because Jesus has paid for those things on the cross and sealed it through his resurrection. That's where we're reminded that we have this hope and this inheritance in Christ that will never pass away and that we have this promise of an eternity with Jesus. We learn all of those things about ourselves and about salvation by hearing the word of God. But James says when we get up and we walk away and we don't do anything about it, that's the spiritual equivalent of forgetting who we are. Because we get up and we walk away and we live out something different. Something contrary to our calling and something contrary to our identity. And it's foolish and it's wasteful and it's just a dangerous way to live. And this is kind of a strange illustration that James gives. Because when we read that, that should resonate as a bizarre thing for James to say. Because who in the world goes and looks at a mirror and then just walks away and forgets completely what they look like? I am pretty readily aware every moment of my day that I have no hair (laughs) and that there is hair on my face. It's just there. I see it in the mirror. I have a pretty good idea of what I look like. Although, in fairness, just to disclose this, sometimes when I picture myself in my head, I picture a cartoon version of myself that kind of looks like a Cabbage Patch Kid with a beard. But I don't know. It's weird. We're we're just an intimate little gathering today. Everybody's away on the holidays. I'm just going to share these things with you. I picture myself as a cartoon Cabbage Patch Kid with a beard, but at least it's the same basic shapes of what I look like and what I understand myself to be. I have a pretty good idea of what I look like. And so when James writes that illustration, it should be very strange. Because what a bizarre thing to do, to look at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and completely forget. And James says, yeah, that's the point. It should be that strange to read God's word and to hear the gospel and to see how much God loves us, that he would give his only son for us. And that he would love us so much that he would die and be raised from the dead for us. And that he would make us new by his grace and mercy and the old would pass away and the new has come. And so why would we ever forget that? Why would we forget who we are in Christ? But James says that's exactly what we do when we hear those things and then we don't go out and live those things out. You see, it isn't enough to just sit and listen. It isn't enough to just claim a belief. But this word, And the free faith that it gives calls us to be hearers and also to be doers. It calls us to live out the gospel in everything that we do. It calls us to be doers of the word. 
James tells us that when we do, that there's a reward in that. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, so another confession. I really enjoy all of all the swag and merchandise that goes along with the phrase, too blessed to be stressed. Right? I don't have anything that says that, but I really enjoy that. And so when I see someone wearing a shirt or with a coffee mug or with a license plate that says that, I am, just, it doesn't matter what my day is, it doesn't matter what's going on, I immediately smile. I just think that that's a really fun thing, and it's usually airbrushed and in really happy colors. I don't know what it is, it just makes me kind of happy. And I also think that it requires a very high level of confidence <laughs> to be able to wear that because I was talking to, to Kathleen earlier. So most of you guys know I totaled my, my car a couple weeks ago. The car was yellow, and so I was very easy to spot. And it made me very aware of the fact that when I'm especially driving around here that most people know <laughs> that I'm in that car. And so like, I can't cut people off. I can't be rude. Road rage needs to be simmered down because people recognize that's who I am in that car. And so I feel like when you wear a too blessed to be stressed shirt, you can't lose your stuff at Walmart, right? <laughs> you cannot be in line and be stressed out because people be like, I don't think you're very blessed. <laughs> and while maybe I don't agree with possibly all of the things that that, that little motto is trying to communicate, I do think that there is a certain level of of truth in that definition of being blessed. Not that when we're blessed in Christ that we won't ever be stressed, but that blessing really is the opposition to stress. That being blessed in Christ is not about having a lot of stuff or material gain, but being blessed in Christ is having peace in all circumstances, in all situations. I love the way that the English Standard Version Study Bible breaks the word blessed down in the Beatitudes. It says, more than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness, this is a state of well-being in relationship to God that belongs to those who respond to Jesus' ministry. James says that when we live out the word of God, that what we will find in that is a life that is blessed. And now it's, again, very strange because when we see that idea of being blessed in the New Testament, it's very different from what we would usually look at as being blessed. Because when people use that phrase, they're mostly talking about receiving something or having good things happen in their lives or whatever. But Jesus says things like, blessed are the meek and blessed are those who suffer. Blessed are those who are going through very difficult things. James says that we should count it all joy or count it as a blessing when we meet trials of various kinds. The New Testament has a very different idea of what being blessed means than maybe the world around us does. And the way that James says that we find this blessing is very strange too. Because James tells us that we are blessed by keeping the law. It says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And when it comes to Christians in that phrase, the law, it can conjure up a lot of feelings of anxiety and stress. Because we start thinking, like, i got to keep all the rules and, and follow all the things, and if I'm not 
not having all my, my I's dotted and my T's crossed, then maybe God's not going to be happy with me. And we start becoming very legalistic about the whole thing, and that feels like it causes stress. But pay attention to the law that James is talking about. Because in opposition to what Paul says, when Paul is talking about the law, and he's referencing the Old Testament law, telling these people, you don't have to follow all of these things, that there are no barriers to keep you from Christ, but it's all about grace. James is talking about a different kind of law. James is talking about the perfect law, what he calls the law of liberty. James is talking about the gospel. The law that was promised in the Old Testament when the prophets would say, one day you're not going to have to worry about these laws that are written down, but God will write his law on your hearts. We see that happen through Christ, that Jesus through his death and resurrection made it possible for us to come freely into a relationship with God by grace through faith. And when we do, God writes that law on our hearts and he sets us free and gives us the ability to love and to honor and to serve him and to serve those around us. James is talking about the perfect law that could do what the Old Testament law couldn't do. A law that sets us free. And this is the kind of law that we should be living out. Imitating Christ in our daily lives. Imitating the one who set us free. But while this law is certainly better and given freely, it isn't easy. Because what we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus takes those things in the Old Testament and he makes them much more difficult. That following Christ is an inside-out sort of thing. That it's not simply about behavior modification, but it's about the identity that we have within us. That it's an inside-out, fruit-bearing kind of thing. And in verse 25, he tells us exactly that, saying that we should be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He doesn't just tell us that we should be people who act or that we should change our conduct, but that our identity itself should be that we are doers of the word of God. And there are consequences to each of those things. Because if we're just hearers who forget, we've already seen that that, that's deceiving ourselves. It's living out this facade of thinking that we're something, of thinking that we're okay when we're actually not. But there's consequences to being doers who act as well. Because it is much more difficult to hear God's word, and to do what it calls us to do. To live out the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. To do what James is calling us to do all the way through his book. To hear the words of Paul and to respond to those. It is an all-consuming thing when we have to follow the word that God has for us. But there's also a positive consequence in the sense that, Paul te- or that James tells us that we will be blessed in what we do. And then we'll find the rewards of God and those things as we live out our identity are far greater than anything else this world could offer for us. You see, the blessing that comes with doing the word of God is that we are who we're meant to be. And we're able to see a life filled with the beauty of God working in and through and around us. And then also to be reminded of the eternity that we have with the God who saves us by his word and then calls us into action. Jesus tells us a picture of what this blessed life looks like. In Luke chapter 6, verse 47, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears 
and does not do them is like a man who has built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says the life that is blessed is a life that can stand in any circumstance. And Paul knew that well, saying that I can live with much and I can live with nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because Paul heard the word of God and he put it into action. And as he did, he found peace and comfort in the midst of a variety of circumstances that were very difficult. And yet Paul considered himself blessed to the point where he even could say to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, the word of God isn't a passing glimpse or a quick pick-me-up. It's not something we do just when we need some encouragement or when we need some counsel. But it's the living, breathing word of God. And it calls us not only to go deeper, not only to meditate and consume it, but to live it out. To abide in the word of God and to persevere through it. And James tells us the result of that action is a life that is blessed beyond measure, not because of wealth or fame, but because of a deep knowledge of the God of the universe who created us and loves us, and knowing the total freedom that comes by living out the gospel and living out the perfect law of liberty. And so to do anything, we have to have this foundation of hearing God's word and recognizing the importance of putting it to work. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some very practical ways that we can do that. James has set us up through this passage of scripture to hear what comes next as he talks about caring for widows and orphans. And not treating people with partiality or favoritism, but loving everyone and elevating everyone and lifting everyone up. And then keeping our lives put into motion and putting our faith into works. And we're going to see a lot of really amazing things. I love the book of James. I love the things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And they are very easy to hear, to be completely honest. It's easy to hear things like how we should care for widows and orphans because that makes sense. I love hearing the phrase at the end of verse 13 where, of chapter 2 where James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's beautiful and it's good and it's easy to agree with. And it's really hard to do, to really do, to really put into practice. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be the kind of people that James calls us to be, to be people who love and to care for the hurting and the defenseless, to be people who are truly religious according to God's definition of that word, not people who look religious or act religiously, but people who carry the marks of the true Christian religion by loving God with everything that we have, by keeping ourselves unstained by the world, and by caring for those who are in need and loving everyone the way that God loves us. And so I want to encourage you to read ahead. Over the next few weeks, we're just going to look at the end of verse chapter 1. So next week, we'll look at verses 26 through 27. And then over the couple weeks after that, we'll just look through chapter 2. And so cheat, read ahead, and pay attention. And as you read God's word, and over the next few weeks, as you hear God's word, be praying that God would give you the passion and the desire to not simply be hearers who forget but to be doers who act so that our church will be a place where we see faith put into motion and we see people loved with the love of Christ as we love Jesus and learn how to love others. Let's pray.